Welcome to The Yoga Room. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Munoz, a yoga therapist and researcher studying and applying the tools of yoga to help transform the lives of people living with arthritis and related conditions. In this podcast, we'll explore the application of yoga to daily life, what the research shows, what real people have experienced, and how to ensure that yoga in its many forms is safe, accessible, practical, and relevant. You'll hear from people living with arthritis, yoga experts, healthcare professionals, and scientists who work in this space. Whether you're a yoga professional, a person living with a chronic condition, or someone who cares for those who do, we hope you'll walk away from each episode with a useful nugget of information or insight. Perhaps even think of this episode as a little bit of self-care. Whether you're listening in the car, the shower, on a walk, or in bed during a flare, we hope our sharing nourishes you in some way. As we begin, take a long, deep breath and consider setting an intention to have an open mind, to be fully present, to discover something new, to trust that you're hearing exactly what will serve you today and beyond. And with that, let's get on with the episode. For any yoga therapists who are watching or listening, we are currently conducting a research study of the yoga therapy workforce. This is something that we did several years ago during the grandparenting process with the International Association of Yoga Therapists. We're repeating it now. We've revised the survey and we're trying to get an understanding of how things are evolving in the field. This helps us to make decisions about uh, what the standards are, how training happens, dissemination, advocacy for the field. And so it's really helpful, not just from a research perspective, but also for the field at large. So if you are listening and it isn't yet January 15th, 2024, please click the link in the show notes. This will take you to the survey. It'll only take a few minutes and I believe you get entered into a raffle um, for your time. But beyond that, we really appreciate your participation so that we can get as broad and representative an understanding of the yoga therapy field as possible. This is research that's being conducted um, at Maryland University of Integrative Health in collaboration with IAYT and uh, colleagues at other institutions. So thanks for taking the time to do that for those of you who are yoga therapists, whether you're certified or not. If you practice yoga therapy, then you are eligible to complete the survey. Um, it is for residents of North America only. So if you're international from somewhere else, um, please refrain. But for those yoga therapists in North America, please complete it before January 15th, 2024. Thanks so much. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Yoga Room. I am thrilled to introduce our guest for this episode, who um, I am a huge fan of hers and have been for a long time. I just think that she is a lovely human and also is doing some really awesome work that I admire. 
So I will read you her bio. After living with rheumatoid arthritis for over a decade and training as an occupational therapist, Cheryl Crow founded Arthritis Life with the mission of educating, empowering, and supporting people with arthritis. She created the Room to Thrive Comprehensive Self-Management and Support Program and Arthritis Life Podcast to help people with rheumatic disease live full, vibrant, meaningful lives. Most days, you can find Cheryl creating life hack videos, sharing patient stories on the Arthritis Life podcast, or spreading the word about ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy. So we we heard about acceptance and commitment therapy in a prior episode, so that will be a callback for our listeners, which is great. Awesome. Cheryl, it is so lovely to have you here. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I feel like this is one of the rare times when I'm having a podcast with somebody where I've actually met you in, in real life also, which was such a pleasure at the American College of Rheumatology Conference. So or, ho hopefully we will get to do that again. Yes, yes, I hope so. Yeah, I'm planning on going to Washington, D.C. later this year for the wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So Cheryl, we, there's a lot to cover with you because as with many of our guests, you have both a personal and a professional angle on this topic. And from we, reading your bio, I'm sure our listeners already get why I like you so much because our philosophies are so very much aligned, but what they may not be familiar with is occupational therapy as a profession and especially how it differs from physical therapy, which of a lot of our listeners may be more familiar with. So can you start there? Yes. And you know, I, I'm a very visual person. So if you, if you like Venn diagrams, as much as I do, imagine a, a circle in the middle saying occupational therapy overlapping, but not on top of a circle on one side saying physical therapy on the other side saying counseling or psychology or psychology. So a lot of times we're confused with physical therapists, but what differentiates us from, and we, that does not overlap with physical therapy. Nowadays, physical therapists are better trained in mental health than, than in any time in history, but occupational therapists, unlike physical therapists, can work exclusively with people with mental health conditions with absolutely no physical impairments. So that's kind of a starting point. Mm -hmm. um, but what, what we focus on is the jobs of daily living. So I think about occupation, not just as your paid like employment, but about all the little life skills that are required for you. We look at a day in your life and we see, you know, what's going well, what's not going well, and what, how does your mental or physical condition make your, make it harder or easier for you to do those things? Plus what are the extrinsic or contextual factors that support or impede your functional performance? So it's all really about the end of the day, empowering you to function better in, in your life. And if I could rename us, I would just rename us life skills therapist, cause that's what it's all about. And I just, and long story short, I just was on a podcast for the American college of rheumatology podcast. And the host was like, you know, you guys are like the original life coaches. And I was like, I love that. Although I know that our like associations for OT don't like that because they're like life coaches aren't licensed and registered and occupational therapists are. But long story short, that's, that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. And I would also say perhaps Cheryl, like with life coaching, like true, pure coaching, the coach does not offer recommendations or ideas unless it's with permission and in a specific manner. And probably an occupational therapist has so much expertise, they're probably bringing more knowledge and suggestions to the process, yeah? 
Yes. Yeah. Part of the process that is a, it is a similar like process in terms of an evaluation and a treatment plan as you would have with physical therapy or psychology, counseling psychology. Um, and so you would look at, you know, yeah, the physical, the intrinsic factors, like what's going on in your joints for rheumatoid arthritis, but also again, the degree to which the environment in, I don't just mean physical environment, like your house or your ergonomic tools, but also the, you know, social stressors, the socioeconomics, the, you know, um, how much support does someone have? And, and that really impacts at the end of the day, we're looking at improving quality of life. And usually that comes down to our treatment plans are usually a combination of what we call like remedial strategies and compensatory slash adaptive. So remedial are like make the underlying factor better. So it's like, I have a hard time holding my coffee mug because um, of hand pain and weakness. Okay, well, if it's just exclusively weakness, we just say, let's strengthen your muscles and now you can hold your cup. It's usually not that simple, right? You might have a combination of, well, I just we've strengthened all we can. Now let's figure out how to, can we use a different tool? Do we have a different kind of mug that's lighter weight? Can we put our, can we interact with the object differently to reduce the strain and stress on our joints? Um, can we use, yeah, an alternate design, some sort of life hack workaround? Um, that's kind of our, our, we, I think of us also as like life skills detectives. So. I, I love this. Um, this is so aligned with our approach to yoga. Mm -hmm. uh, so with yoga, obviously we are working to build skills and function both physically mentally emotionally um and so we do hope that through yoga practice people are going to get stronger and have better balance and more range of motion and therefore be able to do more in their lives and also there are tools yeah. <laughs> that we use in yoga to make things easier more possible um in you know all of the yoga props so i have some behind me we have wedges and straps and blocks and all kinds of grippy things and you know yoga gloves and socks and it's a whole giant industry and some people think oh well i don't i don't want to use those things because a it's like some sort of a sign of weakness or b if i use those things that i'm not doing the real thing right yeah. and and our suggestion is well if you use the tools that's actually going to help you build the skills like it's not an either or it's not like either mm -hmm. i get stronger or i use the blocks it's like okay i'm going to use the block or actually probably more flexible is a better that's a better example like i can't reach the floor right now mm -hmm. i'm going to use the blocks to help me be in this lunge with the flexibility i have using the blocks is going to help me to build greater flexibility maybe eventually i won't need the blocks or maybe i'm going to continue needing the blocks forever but I'm growing physical function by using the blocks, maybe my flexibility is gonna get worse and I'm gonna need more than the blocks, right? Especially with arthritis, yeah. it's unpredictable. It flares, things change. And so it's not always, I'm gonna keep getting better at yeah. this thing, but it's like, I'm gonna meet the moment, and this is part of yoga philosophy, where I am right now, I'm gonna use whatever tools are necessary which doesn't mean I'm going to give up on the possibility of gaining more function at some point in time, but I'm going to be both accepting 
and committed to the process, whatever that means today. A hundred, a hundred percent. And I think when we really peel back what are people's uh, reservations or hesitancies to use adaptive equipment, which is like the fancy word for tools, whether that would be like a, you know, I'm wearing compression gloves or what, using a block in yoga. Um, it's often comes down to internalized ableism, you know, and, and when I started my support groups and self-management program in 2020, I honestly didn't even explicitly say the words internalized ableism in like the educational materials, but it came up so often in the groups. I was like, well, why, why is it? It's like the five whys. You've probably heard those before where you're like, you ask why, why is it bad to use a glove? Well, I don't want to look different. Why don't I want to look different? Well, people are going to think I'm weaker. Well, why would it, why is it weaker to wear? Like, is it weak to wear glasses? You know, and you know, it's, it's, we have to like kind of strip back this fundamental assumption that like, it's better to be able-bodied than not, or it's, it's easier. Like my life would be easier if I didn't have rheumatoid arthritis, but it wouldn't be better. I would argue, you know, and I don't have any shame and I don't, it's hard. Cause I'm kind of like a shameless person. Like I you know I'm the person who like barfs my life story into the universe and like was like made for social media. You know what I mean? Like I just, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not that simple. I do get, you know, I do get down about things sometimes, but I don't have I like public speaking and that's a better example. Like most people have a fear of public speaking. I like public speaking. Like I, you know, I accept myself for who I am. And I think that comes from maybe being in like the 1980s, like self-esteem movement, which I know now psychologists are like, don't tell your kids they're special because they need to have growth mindset. I'm like, well, okay, work for me. But, um, but so point being, we have to learn back backtracking to like the yoga example or the you know, using like, let's say something that if I was using like an aid, like a universal cuff or something to help me hold a, a, a mug, we have to give ourselves permission to use tools and, and say that like, I'm going to embrace this without shame. And I'm going to lean into my life as it is right now, rather than making my whole life. And this is where the, the aft comes in, but like, where you make don't make your whole life about this improvement mindset. I'm going to, I'm going to put all my life and expectations on hold until I can cure or heal my condition. That is not, a, it, it feels like a productive mindset short term, but for most people with a chronic illness, you're going to come to a point where you have to accept it. Yeah. Well, also the conditions we're talking about, and there are many, so you live with rheumatoid arthritis. There are many arthritises. Mm -hmm. There is no cure for arthritis, period. Like take any variety off the shelf. There is no cure, yeah. which means that you're going to live with the arthritis rather mm -hmm. than cure it. And there are some examples of people who go into long-term remission. And, mm -hmm. you know, there are also situations where like if you have osteoarthritis in a joint and you replace it, the arthritis is gone because the joint that had it is gone. But generally yeah. speaking, these are conditions that have no cure. And so the whole idea of overcoming it and also the mindset of being in antagonism with it, and this is something that we've discussed in prior podcast episodes of like, am I gonna fight with my arthritis or am I gonna work with my arthritis? And so the idea that we are going to overcome the arthritis as like, you know, a powerful combatant versus like, I'm gonna find a way to work with what's here and to make my life better given the arthritis and in the process, maybe not hate it, maybe not hate 
the body that has it, which, mm -hmm. you know, there's so much wrapped up in our identity. What you're speaking to, Cheryl, with like the 1980s self-esteem movement, which by the way, you and I are similar age uh, and yeah. grew up in that same era. I think there's a value to a sense of self-worth that is not tied to our achievement. And I think that is something that whether that's due to the 1980s or the particular parents we had, that we see value in ourselves that is, yes, it's great also to achieve things, but I have value aside from whether or not I can touch my toes and whether or not I can open a jar. And for some people whose value is tied to their accomplishments, suddenly being unable to do things that seem very normal can be earth shattering to their sense of self. A hundred percent. Actually, and you used, just used the word normal, which triggered a, a memory. When I was first, I made a blog in like 2010 or 2011, very sporadically updated it, um, called theenthusiasticlife.com. And I just posted stuff about having arthritis and also about, you know, like how I celebrated Christmas without telling my child about that Santa is real because I don't want to lie to him. And like, you know, all sorts of just like, I have thoughts. I'm going to put them out in the universe. And I figured out somehow through looking, poking around my website, that one of the questions, this is going to relate to the word normal and arthritis. One of the questions that, that people put into Google that led them to my website was the question, can I live a normal life with rheumatoid arthritis? And I know it's like a search engine optimization thing. And I didn't, it's funny because I know I never wrote that question out. But I think it's almost like I was answering it by like sharing how, what I was doing in my life. And um, the, the idea that, again, I think that when you say, you know, when a lot of people say normal life, and I, I heard this a lot, at the, I hear this a lot from the doctors at the conferences, they're trying to reassure patients, like you've got this diagnosis of ankylosing spondylitis or psoriatic arthritis. You can live a normal life now though with these meds, but it's like, if we continue to define a normal life as only like a healthy quote unquote able-bodied existence. And that's like the only one it's like, we're all shooting for something that's built on like a faulty foundation versus saying like, there's this diversity of abilities and conditions and we can all live a beautiful life. Right. And like, is it normal to go into your doctor for regular infusions? Is it yeah. normal to give yourself shots at home? Is it normal no. to, yeah, like, to have to like take have three hours in the morning to be able to function because of your stiffness, right? Like, yeah. what are we classifying as normal anyway? There's a whole range of human experience. I mean, I think that idea of what is normal is problematic on so many fronts, ableism yeah. being one of them. Yeah. One of the one of the ways I refer to it, so I ended up making a podcast episode called "Can You Live a Normal Life with Rheumatoid Arthritis," where I kind of did. Oh, let's can, let's link to that. Oh, okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah. And the example I gave is like the I think the fundamental question that you have to answer is like, how do you define normal? You know, and right. it's like you mentioned, you know, like comparing it to what you know. There's a there's a great little YouTube video that went viral years ago called Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Have you ever seen this? <laughs> Totally I've heard of Marcel the Shell. It's super cute. <laughs> yeah. And I actually always thought it was a she, but then the movie came out and Marcel's a he, it turns out. But anyway, Marcel is literally a shell with googly eyes with little shoes on. And um, and then so in the middle of this little video, Marcel goes, People say I look weird, but I say compared to what? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, what are you comparing it to? Are you comparing a shell with googly eyes with shoes on? 
are you comparing it to like a human body are you comparing it to like a snail or are you comparing so it's the same thing as like yeah like my life looks different than what I would have def- thought, assumed it would be but not before yeah. my diagnosis um and and it does involve a lot more medical stuff than I had expected but um if I compare myself to somebody diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis at the severity I was 40 years before I was when there weren't these medications my right. prognosis and my life would be very different. We'd be much more severely impacted. Or if you compare me to maybe 20 years in the future, when maybe we have a cure, my life is a lot worse. So it's always about what you're comparing yourself to. And I think that gets to when we're talking about how occupational therapy can be similar to life coaching in some way, identifying for each person as an individual, what brings your life meaning? What is of value to you? Um, I I actually just recently had to complete my advanced directive because I changed healthcare providers Mm -hmm. and they're now, it's actually, the process has really improved. They're asking questions about what gives your life meaning. Like what's it, when we're making decisions about whether we're going to use extreme measures to sustain your life, like what should we be taking into consideration What do you want to be able to do or be or have for your life to be meaningful? And it doesn't have to come to a life or death situation for us to reflect on that with or without arthritis, to think about what really matters to me and how do I optimize the value of my life based on what brings me joy, what brings me meaning and purpose. And if there's a diagnosis and symptoms of a diagnosis that are challenging, how can I still lean into the things about my life that are particularly rich and meaningful? Yeah, a hundred, a hundred percent. There what there used to be this tagline for occupational therapy that was like, Occupational therapy asks what matters to you, not what's the matter to you or with you. <laughs> right. That's actually what the VA says now for their whole health. That oh, they I love it. From what's the matter with you to what matters to you. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. That's it's beautiful. And, you know, it's funny because, again, this is like nerding out on the history of occupational therapy, but for a while, our roots are we're in mental health, which uh, soldiers coming back shell shocked from World War One. Um, but, um, we were actually an older profession than physical therapy, but because like the medical model became so predominant in like the fifties and sixties where it's like, it's all about rehabilitating, like getting everything back, get you back to normal, get you back to your prior level of function that, you know, occupational therapy almost like has come full circle now back. And a lot of other professions are looking at the things that we looked at uh, in terms of, we call meaningful occupations, which I'm not really on board with this, this whole, they're trying to rename, uh, they're trying to get people to understand the word occupation as meaning like meaningful activity, which I don't think is going to happen. But you know, if it does, I'll happy to be proved wrong. But um, so you know, it's like all about what what brings your life meaning what brings your life joy, and, um, and what is required So called like required, you know, there are requirements, right? Like it doesn't bring us joy to do our taxes, but we have to, you know, like that kind of thing, like have to pay the bills, you know? So how can we, can we get kind of look at where we're at on like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and then like continue working our way up and use the support that's available, which yeah. includes these, you know, sorts of tools and devices that we're talking about, but it also means like the infrastructure that exists and the support systems 
both practical and psycho-emotional support that we all need, you know, regardless of whether we have a diagnosis. So yeah. if somebody is interested in occupational therapy, occupational therapy is covered by insurance, unlike yoga therapy. And so is that something that you can ask your primary care doctor or your rheumatologist? Can I get a referral to occupational health? How does that work? Yeah. And it's, um, I wish that it was a more streamlined process. I've heard, um, like word on the street, I hear all sorts of different things like people saying, well, OT actually is only for hand therapy or only for after you've had surgery or something like that. So, um, I don't want, there's no guarantees in terms of how your individual provider understands occupational therapy, but the, the secret, not secret, the, um, the, the words to kind of the keys to get through the door are, I am struggling to perform my activities of daily living and especially self-care or safety. And I say, and it's, so it's like, show, don't tell, like tell your show through examples to your provider, what it is that you can and can't do. Oftentimes that's what, that that's what really sh like paints a picture for them versus like, okay, well, I might be on a three on the pain scale of like severe uh, or my pain severity is a three, but I can't open the jar of, um, I was going to say the jar of milk. That doesn't make sense. The jar of jam or peanut butter. I can't do my, I can't wash my hair without, with, because of the stiffness I have, I can't perform my job. And my fatigue is so bad that I'm, I'm giving examples. This isn't all me. Um, you know, my, my fatigue is so bad that I can't make it through a work day. Tell them what you can't do. And that is what occupational therapy is supposed to be able to do is help you perform your activities of daily living. And that could even be, you know, um, walking your dog, you know, there's so many physical, um, and, energetic, like fatigue wise demands of just getting through the day that um, a lot of times it almost seems so basic. People are like, well, I didn't know there's a profession that can help me like turn lit. I'm not kidding you. Like there'll be, a, we have a, our, our OT um, practice guidelines in, for arthritis. And one of the examples that they give, like a case study, an evaluation of a patient who is a mother to like a two-year-old who just got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. It's like be able to turn the pages of a storybook to a child. Like no activity is too small. So um, you may be like, wow, why is insurance paying for this? Well, because we're helping you be able to function in your daily life. And so that you're able to be, you know, continue working or can you, I don't know. I don't know why they, they pay for it because it, it, it's effective. You know what I mean? It gives you the quote unquote functional outcomes and it helps with safety. But I will say, unfortunately, there are barriers to, um, in terms of the number of visits, you've probably heard about this with physical therapy too, where it's like, oh, well, we're going to authorize you for three visits and like, Right. A chronic condition that's going to be with you for the next right. 55 right. years. And, and like, with, with physical therapy, it's like, okay, once you achieve this level of function, you graduate, but that may not be the best. You could, it may oh, not yeah. be optimized. We actually often recommend that once you quote, quote unquote graduate from PT after surgery, like that's a great time to pick up yoga therapy yeah. because yeah. yoga therapy will work with what you've already learned in PT and expand upon it and help you, you know, create systems in your life that are going to change the way that you live with this new reality, whatever it is. So Cheryl, how does OT interface with like, you know, when you're talking about your inability to do your job, I'm thinking, well, isn't that where the ADA steps in and you get workplace accommodations? Yeah, sure. 
Yes. And I will just disclose like that is not my area of expertise. Like I haven't ever worked in a capacity helping people get those accommodations, but an occupational therapist can be part of the team that does that evaluation saying that says, look, I evaluated this person's, you know, grip strength, their, you know, cause their jobs are always obsessed with your ability to lift like 15 pounds. Like what? Okay. So we can watch them, you know, lift and see how much they can do document the range of motion document, you know, um, all this stuff so that, that your job can, um, give you some accommodations. So that, I mean, accommodations are a great example of that. Again, that we want to remediate what can be remediatable. And then we want to compensate for what can't be remediated. And I think what's so hard for employers and for friends and family to understand, I mean, you already touched on this earlier is a fluctuating disease. What I could do yesterday I can't necessarily do today what I could do five years ago. I have these videos of me swing dancing. You know, I was swing dancing while seven months pregnant. I was in remission, you know, so I was, I, and people are like, I hate those commercials of people running through the fields, but it's like the running through the fields people. That is what I would say. I resonate with that. Cause that's what it, I'm talking about. Like, you know, I took this medicine. Now I'm running through a field of sunflowers. Um, that is actually what I felt like when I was in medicated remission. That's just for what it's worth. Um, but you know, but then like, how can you, you're this, you're still Cheryl. How can three months later, you're saying you can't even lift an eight pound child. Well, I can't like, that's what I could do before. And this is what I can do now, but jobs and accommodations are totally set up to be like a static disability. Like let's say, and it is not, I, I don't want to disacknowledge like the fluctuations of like a spinal cord injury, but just as a contrast, like if you had a, you know, thoracic T10, which is like around your belly button, spinal cord injury, complete injury. We have no sensation, no motor from T10 and under. It's like you wake up on in December and you don't, you can't walk three years later, you still can't walk. Like until there's, you know, an actual cure, like if it's a complete, you know, and so it's like, you could really accommodate your life and have all the mechanisms around your shower and around your car so that you can completely function independently. And okay, that's it. We need these accommodations. They need to have a transfer thing in and out of their car. They need to have this thing to get into their, you know, to get their computer at the right level at their job. But when it's a fluctuating disability, it's it, it's very confusing to the people around the, um, the person with the condition. And it's not, there's not a simple answer other than that. I just tell people, or I recommend you just really say the elephant in the room. It's not your fault that your condition is fluctuating. We have to actually explicitly tell people, whether it's teachers of a child with juvenile arthritis, coworkers say, you know what, like I have a condition that is, it, it is difficult for me because my abilities change every day. And I do the best I can to understand my triggers and understand my body's patterns. But sometimes I'm going to do everything right. And I'm going to wake up in a flare up. And that's just my life. <laughs> Welcome to my life. <laughs> so, so Cheryl, you've talked a lot about the physical side yes. of, so, and occupational therapy also, you said in the Venn diagram, there's an overlap with counseling. And, and I think this is also a misunderstanding of yoga and how it applies to arthritis because people think well arthritis is a physical problem yoga is a physical practice you move your body and you you know manage your arthritis yoga actually is a whole tradition that has a variety of philosophies and practices most of which many of which are non-physical in nature um, and so when we at yoga for arthritis are thinking about how does yoga help 
people live with arthritis differently, to me, it's a lot about the meditation and the breathing and relaxation and mindfulness and applied philosophy as tools for arthritis management. So how, do, what, what do you see as the ways that occupational therapy supports arthritis management from a mental emotional side? Yeah. And I, this is where the devil can get in the details again, in terms of what's reimbursed, what's not, but most occupational therapists are creative and try to, in, and are, we are trained to look at, if we're talking about earlier, what, what are the barriers to performance? If I can't, you know, if I'm not able to last through the workday because of my fatigue, let's say fatigue, I can't last through the workday. I'm not able to complete my normal volume of work. Let's say I'm just using a job as an example, but it's again, we're more than just your employment. So it might be physical pain, might be physical, like in cognitive fatigue. It might be, um, and it might be psychosocial, it might be emotional. It might be that you're, that you're having a lot of anxiety. It might be that you're having depression. Like there's, we can look at all holistically the, what are the contributing factors to our challenge and functioning with our life? And then do that same, apply that same philosophy of like, what can be, it's a little bit harder to measure, but what can be remedi remediated in our mind or fixed quote to lack a better word versus what can be compensated for? Like, so for me, I, um, and it's all interrelated that, and you know this, but you know, it's like, think about, um, the space symptoms, which I really love. Dr. Afton Hassett calls them the space symptoms, sleep, pain, affect, like emotions, cognition, and energy. I also would put exercise in there, like exertion. So I'm kind of like adding things to it, but it's like, it's real like science. And you know, for me, you're more of a researcher than I am, but like, they want to like isolate each variable and it's like impossible. Right. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm tired. Am I tired? Cause I didn't sleep well. Am I tired? Cause I'm anxious and anxiety contributes to sleep. My tiredness. Am I tired? Cause my immune system's attacking every tissue of my body. Am I tired? Like, I don't know. Even when I say the word tired, what do I mean? No, it's like everything relates. I think of that song by Lauren Hill, like everything is everything. Like I think of that all the time, like everything is everything. So um, even just explicitly acknowledging that with patients, being like, look, like this is complex. I just think so many patients feel so invalidated that like the only thing anyone has cared about, about their, their arthritis is their joints. And, oh, you don't, I've had so many doctors tell me when I'm at these conferences and stuff, they'll look at, oh, you've had rheumatoid arthritis 20 years. I'll be, let me see your hands. Oh my gosh, your hands look so great. I'm like, okay, yeah, yes, thank you. Yes, my hands do look good. But if you are only looking at my joints and the degree of hypertrophy and the degree of ulnar drift, which I do have some, um, you are missing the impact of this condition on my actual life. Like I have one child. I always wanted to have more than one. I have like a ghost child that I don't have because of my health. You know what I mean? And that follows me every step of my life. And that's hard to cope with. But if you're just saying, well, your joints are good. So you must be having a great life in like, it's so, it's so, you know, again, I know I'm preaching to the choir for, for you and your listeners too, but you know, so back to like, okay, what does occupational therapy actually do about this? <laughs> functionally, A, I honestly think I don't want to bypass the first step of just validating. So many of people with autoimmune arthritis or inflammatory arthritis have been so medically gaslit for so long that being told that you're not sick, you're just anxious. It's saying, wow, you've been through a lot. That is a lot. And like couching or framing our mental health interventions as in a way that's not like 
pathologizing it, but just saying, normalizing it, saying like, wow, like, you know, this is, it's, it, this sounds like, I don't know who wouldn't be anxious having a condition where they wake up each day and they don't really know how their body's going to feel. Like, let's talk about some coping skills for that versus like, you just need to stop catastrophizing and blah, blah, blah. You know, not all, I will say not, there's no guarantee that all the occupational therapists are going to be really good at that. Cause I do think it's, I think a lot of the professionals aren't trained to really cope with the kinds of ambiguity that are involved in these kinds of conditions. I think we're often, we go into the field because we want to help people. I want to get someone who had a stroke and I want to learn, help them regain their function. You know, wow, we're going to, we're going to make all these gains and you couldn't do X, Y, Z. And then after five weeks of therapy, you can do X, Y, Z. That's how a lot of people like to live with the cope with the mental side of things. It's a lot less measurable. It's a lot more messy, but, um, but to me, it's the most gratifying part. So it's just why I think matter. you need whole person interventions because yeah. these conditions are whole person conditions. There is not a facet of life that is unaffected. Um, yeah. You know, no matter what form of arthritis you have, even if it's osteoarthritis, which we think about as being localized and not systemic, your ability to do things physically affects how you feel about yourself, affects your um, relationships, affects your the roles that you play, your whether or not you can engage in self-care affects other aspects of your health as well. It interferes with your sleep. Your sleep interferes with your mood, right? Like there are all of these interconnect and you're right, science <laughs> tries to isolate variables. These are not isolatable. Mm -hmm. um, which is where something like whole systems research comes in that does look at whole processes and and how they interrelate, you know, how all of these variables are interrelated. I want to get to Cheryl, you know, you, so I have this job as an academic researcher, and then I also do all of this stuff with an organization I created, Yoga for Arthritis, because I didn't want my work to be stuck in the ivory tower and not actually impact the lives of the people who are living with these conditions. You also have your job as an occupational therapist where you're working with people, you know, in with that role and in that setting. But there's also all the stuff that you do out in the world that is direct to public, both in terms of advocacy and education and support. So how did that happen? Yeah, yeah, so I actually am not doing a traditional role in occupational therapy for arthritis at the moment in terms of, well, it's like Schrodinger's cat or is like in the box, out of the box. Like I'm doing, I'm doing what is technically according to our OT practice framework, population level occupational therapy. Cause it's like technically occupational therapy can done to, be done to like individuals, groups and populations. So part of it's populations and part of it's groups, but, but long story short, I am not doing so it's like, like not, public health, public which health. is my field, right? Yes, and exactly. you can intervene, you can change public health on an individual level or on a global level and everything in between. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's what I think is so exciting about like the power of social media and, and, you know, outreach in, in the digital space. But I will say like, just technically, like according to my state practice act, actually occupational therapy can be done to individuals or groups, but what I'm doing is I'm not in my, I, I founded, you know, Arthritis Life to educate, empower, and support people with arthritis. And I run a support group and self-management program. And all those are not considered, um, you know, legally, those are not occupational therapy. I'm using, I'm providing patient education and I'm facilitating peer support 
but I'm not, if I was doing occupational therapy and it through a group setting, I would have to be licensed in each state everyone would be in. And I would be following our occupational therapy process where each individual, even if they're in a group therapy, would be given an individual evaluation, individual goals. And then I would determine that a group intervention is appropriate to help right. them reach their goals. So that is possible to be done. It's just not, that is not what I'm but doing. But you're essentially providing education, advocacy, yes. and coaching, really. I mean, it is really coaching. And I think I, yeah, I've stayed, <laughs> I was trying to say facilitating peer support that, that whole, there's again, all this legality stuff that's kind of stresses me out. Cause I'm like, mm. I don't want to, I'm definitely a rule follower. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, it is coaching. It is coaching. It's just that some people are like, well, cause again, occupational therapy has a little bit of a jack of all trades, master of none problem. And also like, um, if everything's sacred, nothing's sacred kind right. of thing where it's like, if everything's occupational therapy, nothing is occupational therapy. So it's like, technically you could also use coaching at, in within the context of mm. an official, like occupational right. therapy intervention. But yeah, what I do, what I did is basically I was, you know, in the, I was actually working in school-based occupational therapy with pe kids with um, developmental disabilities and autism and like neurodiversity. And that was actually my passion. I kind of was joke. I'm like, I'm, we're just working my way down the alphabet. Like I started with autism, anxiety, ADHD, and now I'm on arthritis. I'll probably stay here for the next 40 years. But, um, I, and you know, I was conscientious because of my own levels of anxiety about my, you know, I just, I thought I'm going to separate my arthritis life from my work life as an OT, but then on the side, is yeah. that where arthritis life came from? Actually, no, well, <laughs> Part of it was that, and also um, at life, technically is I, I'm obsessed with acronyms. So it's like an acronym for life hacks, interviews, fun, and education. <laughs> I made that in 2019. Um, but yeah, so I started that as I actually, I almost named it arthritis. I have like some of the old notes I was going through and organizing. I almost named it the arthritis talk show because that was my idea. It was be on YouTube. This is pre-pandemic. It would be on YouTube. I would go in person, interview physical therapists, yoga therapists, you know, I would interview, um, occupational therapists, other people and patients, and just kind of have a talk show about like, what matters to us? How do we get to where we want to be? How do we live a good life with arthritis? And I was still at the time working part-time in school-based occupational therapy, kind of in my, I would say like comfort zone. That's where I had worked. And I really, I love, there's something about the milieu of being in schools that I just, I love schools. Like I volunteered my child's school yesterday. I was like, schools but um yeah that's, that's what they say about professors is we just never wanted to leave no, school totally totally I yes so resonate with that meanwhile you know through the 2010s I had been you know started my own little blog and I had been once people realized I liked public speaking people in the arthritis world were like can you come speak here can you go to Washington DC can you go here can like you know because tell about your story and I'm like yeah sure I'm not shy you know tell me where to go give me my talking points and if as long as I ethically like resonate with them I'm not just gonna like say whatever but um so long story short it was kind of becoming it was a hobby and I was like well maybe I can make this a little more official make it into like maybe a little talk show make it a little like side side gig like side income and then during the pandemic I definitely wanted to step away from in-person stuff because of my own being immunosuppressed and um, also homeschooling my child at the time, you know, um, I was like, okay, you know, okay, the, the pandemic happened at the perfect time to kind of the culmination of me throughout the 2010s being on social media, being really in touch as a patient with what other patients cared about and what they're, what they were lacking in their self-management. I started seeing over and over again, patients were like, I don't know what to do. Like I get, I, I got diagnosed in this 20 minute appointment. 
and they tell me to come back in three months. Like, I don't know how to function in my daily life. It was like a, it was like basically a call for arms for occupational therapy, but also just for someone. I don't care who it is, a health coach, a life coach, someone to step in and help these people. And I kept saying, someone should do something <laughs> like, and I learned about self-management, which is like, you know, the tools people use to manage their condition with chronic conditions on a daily basis. I actually learned about it in relation to multiple sclerosis, not inflammatory arthritis in occupational therapy school. And in the back of my head, I was like, where's the self-management for arthritis? Like there is one like through the chronic disease self-management program, but it's like very, in my opinion, like very basic and much more for like osteoarthritis than inflammatory, which is more complex. And so I was like, someone needs to do this. Someone needs to do this. And I remembered, so this is like the long story, but um, I remembered I got into, my brother graduated from NYU law sometime in the mid two thousands. And his, Corey Booker was his um, speak, uh, commencement speech, speaker from New Jersey, the former mayor of New Jersey. And he was like, I, he basically talked about his, his origin story. And he was like, tell about how he had told his apartment manager, someone needs to do something. Someone needs to do something. And she goes, I know what you need to do. I know what you need to do. You need to do something. <laughs> I just stuck on my, he's a really good storyteller, like better than me. So I was like, someone needs to do something. And finally with the pandemic, with everything slowing down, I was like, I could do that. Like I could be the someone, you know, <laughs> like it sounds so simple, but it almost was like all of my training has prepared me for this. <laughs> so I put together, like I looked at the best practices for self-management, you know, and looked at, okay, what is it that people like, what, what are the job skills? So I actually call my room to thrive program, like a orientation manual really for the job of being a inflammatory arthritis patient. Like we need, it's also an acronym. So the you know, tools for pain and fatigue. We need health, healthy habits or helpful habits. I like to say, you know, things like exercise, nutrition, stress management, sleep. And then we need relationships, manage our relationships, manage our inner world. That's the I. V is values and valued activities. The reason it all came is like all my training comes to this because I learned about acceptance and commitment therapy through my therapist, my own therapist. Um, and then E is executive functions. So the boring adulting tasks, like symptom tracking, you know, advocacy, making the most of your appointments, understanding that you are the CEO of your care team. Like no one's out there um, doing this for you, which kind of was a shock to me. Um, and so, I, yeah, I started that and just th through social media have been able to kind of get the word out and through, through my own podcast too. And it's been really wonderful. I mean, it's been great and the bar is low, right? I wish that there were more, I, the bar is low because there's not very many options patients have. So, you know, I actually want there to be competition. I want there to be like more possible programs for people to choose from. But right now mine is the only one I know of that's like comprehensive and also has that optional support group element to it as well. Yeah, I, I often meet with people. I think we've talked about this before, Cheryl, that when people are diagnosed, with any of these systemic inflammatory conditions, they're like in that appointment, overloaded with information. Yeah. Some doctors are telling them, don't worry, you're gonna have a quote unquote normal life. Other doctors are saying like, your life is going to dramatically change and you will not recognize it. Mm -hmm. Either or anything in between, they are being introduced to a new reality and probably mentally and emotionally do not even have the capacity to absorb the information that they've just been given and are not getting, generally speaking, any sense of like what actually 
might my life look like, especially because usually by the time they're diagnosed, they've been through a whole bunch of suffering on the way to the diagnosis where their disease is wholly unmanaged. And so their symptoms are like really overwhelming. And that's what they feel is their life with arthritis now, instead of like, what does it actually look like realistically? Both the, you know, when I'm, when it's well-managed and the symptoms are reasonably bearable and what does a flare feel like you know all of that like what what is this really and what do i do with it and so i actually really love being able to meet with somebody soon after their diagnosis and have the other talk with them um and i wish that this was standard that it was like okay you know here's your diagnosis from the rheumatologist. This is what you need to know right away. We're, you know, we're going to get started on these medications. Here are the things. And I'm going to give you a referral to an occupational therapist, to a psychotherapist, to a coach who's going to help you figure out what this is going to look like for you, what matters to you, what your goals are going to be, how to move in that direction. You know, all of that more whole person, whole life kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, that some people never get until maybe sometimes 10 years later, they wander into somebody like you or me. And then they say, why didn't anybody tell me all of this sooner? A hundred percent. Yeah. And a lot of people will say like, when I first made the program, I thought, okay, well maybe I should separate, like have one group for the support group for newly diagnosed and one for people who've had it for longer. But honestly, just because that was grassroots and just starting, I didn't have like this giant number of people interested, right? I just was like- They was also just... probably really learned from each other, right? Well, it's ended up being amazing. Yeah, yeah. It, it has ended up, I'm, I'm not going to change. I'm going to have everyone together because A, the people who've had it for 15, 20 years, they often actually, it's funny, their testimonials- are actually stronger sometimes than the newly diagnosed because they have felt the right. pain right. year after year, month after month of trying to do it on their own. Whereas the newly diagnosed are like, oh, this is great. This is super helpful. But they didn't have that terrible experience of trying to like flounder on their own. Um, but yeah, and it's so, it, it's something that you can, it is, it, what's really unfortunate is that, yeah, what I am teaching is not rocket science. And I would tell people like, I, I don't want to be a sleazy. Like, it's weird. Cause this is a, it's a for-profit. I structured it that way because I like control. And <laughs> I figured out that cause of my experience with other like grassroots nonprofits, it's like the board of directors for nonprofits, like kind of ends up having all the power in terms of a lot of decisions. And I was like, I want to be able to do and I just might, and I might be wrong, but my experience in past nonprofits was things move kind of slowly. Like I want to be able to say, here's a problem I see. I want to fix it. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to say what I want. I sound like a dictator. But, um, and so I made it as a for-profit. And so oh my, I totally forgot. Sorry, this is brain fog. Lost my train of thought for a second. But I basically was talking about testimonials and talking about people having it for longer or shorter. And Oh, the, oh, yeah. The point is that this, when people are contemplating joining the group or taking the self-paced online course, I want to be like really honest with them. Like you could find every single thing, all the research that I include in my course, you could find it. It's not, I didn't discover something that it's like behind it. Again, the gatekeeping it with my course. It's that A, 
that it's complex, right? It's com it, I've taken You've curated it. I've, that's right. a skill. Yeah. That it takes a lot of time to do it on your own. You don't have the expertise right. to kind of understand how to suss it out. But, but if you do want to, some people are like, they like that they're researchers, you know, yeah. they want to do it on their own. Most people don't have time to do it on their own, but, but yeah, point being, this is, that's the tragedy of this is that this should be part of standard care. It's actually written into a lot of physical therapy and occupational therapy, like best practices and rheumatology, best practices, patients yeah. should have access to, you know, structured psychoeducation and self-management. Well, who's doing it? Insurance right. doesn't want to pay for it because it's preventative care. They only want to pay for you correcting something that's already gone wrong. They don't want to pay it for something. You know, they think, oh, the nonprofits will do it. They're a lot of well, the first thing to get cut in my experience for arthritis related funding is arthritis related nonprofits is patient education gets cut. Mm. It's that it's seen as a nice to have, not a need to have. Wow. You know, and, and understandably, when people donate, yeah, when people don't, I mean, arthritis, I don't want to. I don't know my name names, but there are foundations that used to offer the chronic uh, chronic disease self-management program from the Chronic Illness Institute. And they don't anymore because also that institute makes it, you have to pay up like a $500 license for each person to take it. So it's like, wow. it's, just, it's tricky. It's, yeah. it's a thing, but this is not rocket science in terms of like, this is something that should be done. Someone has to do it. Again, yeah, I just did it on my own. <laughs> I, I also find, so you know that the latest recommendations that came out for non-pharmacological management of rheumatoid arthritis have mind-body practices, including yoga in them, as yeah. is true for the recommendations for lots of other forms of arthritis and chronic pain conditions. And so you can say yoga might be helpful. Where do people find it? How do they know? Like, again, this is not, you know, yoga is a thousands year old tradition. We didn't make it up. But to be able to find a trusted source of appropriate information is something that isn't easy to find. And so, you know, a doctor may recommend, oh, you know, you should like find a self-care program or find a self-management program. Well, where... Yeah. Where is the, like, there's no chain to it yes. for continuity. You know, when a doctor says you should get some exercise yeah. and then there's no specific recommendation for here are some places you can go. Here are some appropriate approaches that are going to work for you as a specific patient, knowing what your needs and limitations are. So for people to be able to find someone who can offer safe, appropriate, realistic information and recommendations, I think is so important and so lacking from the way that the system functions now. Yeah, it's really, it's really a shame. And, you know, for better, or for worse, when people are feeling so vulnerable, the thing that's at stake for that I see, at least probably because I'm like too chronically online, chronically on social media, <laughs> is that who's stepping in to do this are the oh. snake oil salesmen. Yes. You know, people oh who are gosh. like, oh, just take my supplement, just do this. And it's on, you know, it's, it's, if you don't, you can, providers should not be surprised. A rheumatologist should not be surprised that patients are falling for this. If you give them ac no access to any right. other education yes. or support. Yeah. What do you and then you say just they're gonna they, try to find it themselves yeah, and it, then they're at the mercy of the algorithm. <laughs> and they'll say, Don't Google. What are you what year are you living in? If you're telling things <laughs> not to Google, like would you, if you got diagnosed with something, would you just be like, I'm just gonna trust what I learned in this 20-minute appointment? Like, and I'm not knocking rheumatologists since like this is you are 
completely setting this system. The system is setting the patient up to fail. Like no matter how wonderful, like I'm obsessed with my rheumatologist. I invited her to my wedding. Like she's amazing. Not, there is no way she could prepare me to live a life with rheumatoid arthritis in 20 minutes. It just doesn't, it's not going to happen. Like, right. you know, so, and I think there are recommendations to get like an annual, I think what would be really great. I wish I had the, a record of this an annual evaluation by an mm. occupational therapist and a physical therapist, or even an annual check-in like you do with your primary care doctor, yeah. having an annual physical where I would love to have documented what is my hand strength now versus when I was diagnosed 20 years ago. I actually don't know because I didn't get any measurements. I didn't get any, you know, a documentation of that. Um, and so even just that alone would mean so much and, and all insurance would have to pay for would be one visit a year. And it would right. remind patients that, oh yeah, there's this multidisciplinary team, you know, for yoga, yeah. it is harder. Like, I mean, cause, because it's not like a, uh, yeah, like you said, it's not a reimbursed thing at, at the moment, which is really, a it actually can be oh. if it's overseen by a licensed healthcare provider. So if there, oh. for example, is a yoga therapist who's working in a healthcare setting, and then it can be built. There are codes that can be used for yoga therapy. Um, and also some people can get it covered through with their FSA or HSA. Yes, funds. yeah. Yeah, so Cheryl, I, I'm gonna ask you for a few recommendations. Yeah, yeah. One is um, if you are speaking to somebody who lives with inflammatory arthritis and they are trying to live their best life, um, what would you suggest, aside from they should do your program <laughs> and follow you on social media because your content is phenomenal oh, and yeah. not only spot on in terms of scientific accuracy, but also very engaging and entertaining. Oh, okay. Besides that, what would you suggest? Yeah. Um, you know, that's a great, that is a great question. And I think, I think the most important thing is to, is to go deeper into how do you define your best life? How do you define and make sure you're not building your expectations on like a faulty premise. Again, that the only good life is one where my symptoms are perfectly controlled. I, I really like this quote. It's actually from Tom Robbins, who's like a fiction writer, not to be confused with who's the other John guy. Robbins. Or there's another guy that's like a yeah. he's like a snake oil kind of Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins, yeah, not Tony <laughs> Robbins. Um, Tom <laughs> Robbins is this, is he wrote like even cowgirls get the blues and yeah yeah and yeah. that he goes like that which you hold holds you you know so it's mm -hmm. I guess it's another way of saying the non attachment you know being like I think a lot of people exclusively focus on the fixing, healing, curing side. And I'm not to say that there's nothing that would be helpful in that. That is a helpful, that is a helpful mindset for problems that are solvable, but not right. all your problems in your life, whether you have arthritis or not, right. no one's problems are all solvable. So taking, I have like a little image I did of this on my social media somewhere, but um, where it's like, I'm sitting in the middle and on one side is like fixing, make the problem go away. And then the other side is like adapting, adjusting, compensating. What can I do with this? Like, I loved how, I mean, I love everything that you say. Like, I'm, I think you're just amazing. Everyone should listen to you. But, um, but it's like, what with, I'm living with arthritis. I'm not against it. I'm not fighting it. I'm not, a you know, I, I identify with the word warrior because I come from like an athlete background and I get what people mean. Like it takes 
it takes gumption to kind of say like, I'm going to get up each day and like try to inner strength. Strength. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But to say, so don't, I think the biggest mistake people make at the beginning is only focusing on uh, assuming that if I just, I'm just going to wait till I get this under control. I got to focus on getting it under control and not realizing that there's this whole other option that you're blinded to, which it would be like, what if it never gets better? What if like you, this is all, all you know is the present moment. Can you actually look for opportunities to still live a wonderful life? And meet the moment, which, you know, that's what yoga is, is being with, and there's a practice that we call santosha or contentment, which doesn't mean that you have to want the reality that exists right Mm -hmm. now, but you, you can find a way to be okay with it. Can I sit with what is? even if it's a little bit uncomfortable physically, mentally, emotionally, and what can I bring my inner resource to that? And I think that there's a balance between the inner strength to change the way that things are Mm -hmm. and the inner strength to surrender and allow. Yeah. And the, the wisdom to decide how much of each to bring to a moment and to accept that there's going to be uncertainty lingering no matter what that you're not going to that most times you're going to have to say I did the best I could with the information I had that's it like I might realize that oh I should have put you know hindsight's always 2020 oh I should have put my energy into this I should have put my energy into that like give yourself that grace and, and I love the definition of the, my favorite definition, because you use the word like, you know, allow and surrender. And I, I love those words now. I didn't used to, but um, <laughs> yeah, um, my favorite definition of acceptance in the context of acceptance and commitment therapy is from Dr. Russ Harris, who wrote the happiness trap, which is a really great, like lay person primer on what is acceptance and commitment therapy. And he says, acceptance means taking what's offered. Like life is mm. offering you something. Mm-hmm. And it's not a passive thing to take it, right? right? You could say someone's holding out arthritis to you and they're kind of saying like, this is mandatory. You have to take this, but you can turn away the no, 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 no. I'm not going right. to, can't do it. No, I'm not ready. I can't, this is not what my life was supposed to be like, or you can say I'm taking it. It doesn't mean you like it. It doesn't mean that you want it, but it's the act of saying, this is, this is Claiming it. it. And then when you claim it, you can decide what to do with the thing that you're holding. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's just another way of conceptualizing allowing, but I I find that that, that resonates with my brain. That was like the first thing that clicked into place of maybe Mm -hmm. I kept asking my therapist, like, why, how do you do this job? Like why (laughs) you're, I literally called him like a sadist. I was like, why are you telling people they have to suffer? Like, what is, like, yeah. how do you Well, do life is suffering. Well, yeah, he, he, yeah, he, we're all going to suffer. Well, I was like, no, your job is to help me have the perfect life and the perfect life yeah, is right. the life where I don't suffer. Like, help me feel better. You know, it's like that, that little, you know, it maybe is a cliche to your listeners, but I thought it was really cute the first time I saw it on, in the happiness trap, which was like, like the goal is to feel better not to feel better like you're not oh, feeling yeah, better <laughs> like it's not all about getting right. better it's about right. feeling being able to connect to your being feeling, able to you know, feel 
Right, and, right, yeah. And just for the record, I had to go through, or I went through, I didn't have, I don't know if I had to, but I went through exposure therapy for claustrophobia. So when I was oh. referring to him as a sadist, I was actually taking yeah. the claustrophobia trait. <laughs> right. Because exposure therapy is where you continually expose yourself. Oh, and I'm yeah, like, why right. do you do this? He's like, because I've got people who come into my, he's an OCD specialist. He's like, I got people who come into my office and they've done like traditional talk therapy for like 15 years and they go through exposure therapy and it's like done in six months. Because sometimes you have to feel worse in order to feel better. Yeah. Um, Which is is. not always true, right? That we're always telling people um, that no pain, no gain does not apply. Like we we like to say no pain, healthy brain. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, well, it's not always true that like if you make yourself feel worse, you will eventually feel better. (laughs) But there are some times that just like sitting with the discomfort allows it to be transformed. A hundred, a hundred percent. I don't know if any of your listeners watch the movie Zoolander, but it always comes to mind like the fact that it took me like so long to figure out this whole idea of like allowing and accepting and surrendering and especially if it's uncomfortable emotions or feelings. And I was like, like there's a part in Zoolander where (laughs) Derek Zoolander is like a male model. He's talking to David Duchovny and David Duchovny gives him this like long, like minute and a half explanation about like why male models are the perfect assassins. And at the end of it, Derek (laughs) Zoolander is like, but why male models? And then then David Duchovny's like, are you kidding? That's like literally what I just told you. Like that was me with acceptance. I'd be like, but why? Because we have to allow and we have to because life is suffering. We can't avoid it. I was like, but what if I'm really good at avoiding it? Mm. You know, like I tried to find all these different ways around it. And finally it got through my head of like, okay, yep. This is a helpful, meaningful thing to connect to my feelings and sensations in my body, even if they're not like, this is how, where, how, how D I know you, we need to wrap it up, but that, this is how, what's the word? I was not connected to my body where mm, they, he kept asking disembodied. Me, disembodied. They're like, where's your pain? I'm like, it's in my brain. Cause pain is processing. The- <laughs> <laughs> like, but where, which is feeling? true, but I was like, I'm feeling it in my where, brain. <laughs> where is your brain sending the signal? <laughs> I was like, to the brain. <laughs> like, That's funny. I was like, just couldn't. I was like, I don't know. My feet? Yeah, my feet are okay. You know, but it was like, I could, I was so disembodied, like as a coping yeah. strategy. You know, yeah. I, yeah, it was just interesting. So we, if you're listening to this and this is not, coming easily to you, know that it didn't come easily to me either. And that's okay. Yeah. And that actually is part of what happens when someone starts yoga, who is living with chronic pain is we, we start by paying attention when, you know, a lot of people use the coping strategy of not paying attention, but you can't make wise choices about your body if you're not paying attention to it. You know, and the same goes for the mind. So Cheryl, I want to ask you before we go for any recommendations that you have for the yoga professionals who are listening. So these are people who serve the arthritis community, many of which are living with arthritis themselves, which is why they feel passionately about working with this population. But is there anything that you would offer to to those people from your perspective and expertise. Yeah, I did a podcast because I, I'm really fascinated by this question. You know, what do people need to know? Like, and I, um, I made the podcast is just called, cause I'm long-winded. It's called eight things. Everyone who loves someone with arthritis should know. And so, um, the idea is to walk through and the, and the long, you know, TLDR too long, didn't read version 
is that it's more than joint pain. And I know it sounds so obvious to those who live with it, but oh, actually, oh, sorry. The title of it is, it, it's not just joint pain and eight other things. Everyone who loves someone with arthritis should know. So I'm going to send you all these links, but um, it's, it just walks you through, you know, it affects your, we want you to know what the disease is and isn't. We want you to know that the fatigue can be just as bad or worse as the pain. And you want you to know it's, you know, it affects everyone differently. And we want you to know it's unpredictable. So that's, I mean, I'm saying we, but it's just my opinion, but understand the, to- and I think anyone who's interested in yoga probably is, or as a teacher is probably already and I holistic, think- but. I think for most people with arthritis, walking into a yoga space, a yoga class, a yoga session, being seen by someone who has even a basic understanding of what it is that you're living with, even if if someone comes into a yoga space and says, I have arthritis, and the yoga teacher says, what kind? Like even that suggests an understanding that can allow a student with arthritis to breathe and be like, oh, okay, I am, I am in good hands. Yeah. <laughs> Even just from that. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. The, there's like the, yeah, there's like the special words you can say that, that either let people know that you don't get it or you do get it. Or like, yeah, cause if someone says like, where is my, arth- where's your arthritis? I know what they mean is like, where are you hurting right now? But like, sometimes it can be that they don't understand that it's not just in my joints. And it's really is this cognitive dissonance of the word arthritis, you know? So um, looking at the whole, the whole body factors, understanding the, the uh, extra articular, you know, non-joint symptoms um, is, is, goes a huge long way. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, Cheryl, we could go on and on (laughs) um, because we both are talkative and have a lot to say. So (laughs) we'll, we'll put a pin in it and to be continued another time. It is always a pleasure chatting with you. um, And we will absolutely share in the show notes links to the things of yours that we have mentioned specifically, and also all of the general ways to follow your work and um, the excellence that you you are bringing into this space. So thank you so much for being here and thank you for all that you do. Thank you. And literally hundred percent right back to you. I'm really um, in awe of your work and I do recommend it to a lot of people that come through my program. So keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us in the yoga room. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider liking, following, and leaving a review. You can find more information and resources on our website at arthritis.yoga and on our social media channels. Join our newsletter to learn about our latest offerings and please share with anyone who might benefit. Until our next episode, we wish you peace and well-being. May your light shine so bright that all the world is better for your being in it.